Out of uh, reverence, join me now today as we hear hear the word of God out of reverence. If you're able, please stand. Today's Old Testament reading is taken from Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Epaphrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord our God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace." In our New Testament reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer for the word. Lord, we thank you. Your word is truly the lamp to our path. It is what guides us, Lord. And so we pray that as we hear your word now, that you would illuminate through your spirit in our hearts to help us to understand, Lord, your heart and your thoughts, your mind, that as your people, we may glorify you by living according to your word. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we have a special uh, speaker. It is good at times for those who are ruling over us spiritually, our ruling elders, uh, to exhort us, to give us a word, uh, and, and to teach us. And so today, our ruling elder Mike Godfrey will come and exhort us and preach the word of God. It is uh, good in God's providence that he would give us a moment this morning where the wrong hymn number would be given to Ellen and 
and we could have a good laugh because it, it reminded me that the group that I'm with right now, it calmed my heart and allowed me to pre prepare for this a little more. So thank you, Lord, for that, and thank you, God. <clears throat> uh, Mary's Magnificat is uh, a, a powerful text, but I had no idea how to approach it. Um, I didn't feel much of a connection to the woman who was just told she was going to be the mother of our Lord. I, just, I, I couldn't get in her shoes, you know? Um, so not knowing where to start speaking about that, I did what any good Presbyterian would do, and I uh, listened to an R.C. Sproul sermon. <laughs> and not long into his sermon about Mary's Magnificat, one of many he's done, uh, he said this, which uh, sparked my interest and led me down a, a journey of discovery that I, I would like to take you down with me today. And he said, uh, one thing that is clear from the reading of this text is that Mary, as a young Jewish girl, did something that most Jewish girls did in her day, memorize scripture. We see similarities between her song and Hannah's song of praise and thanksgiving in the Old Testament when she was told of the impending birth of her son. And I thought, Mary's referencing Hannah's prayer when Hannah was told of the impending birth of her son? And she sings this Magnificat when she's speaking to Elizabeth, who was just told of the impending birth of her son? I thought there's a connection there that I need, to, I need to follow. So if you don't remember much of uh, Hannah's story, it, it begins this way. That there was a certain man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Well, this is sounding familiar now, right? We re we've heard this uh, story before. Let me give you the 15-second summary. Uh, whenever Hannah and her husband and the family would go up to the temple to sacrifice, uh, her husband would give a portion to Penina and one for each of her children. And then he gave Hannah a, a double portion because he loved her even though she didn't have any children. And... Uh, Penina, she torments and provokes Hannah. Uh, and Hannah can't, can't eat because she's weeping over this. And so she goes up to pray for the child uh, at the temple. She's praying for a baby. And uh, Eli says, God, grant your petition. And then later she gets pregnant with Samuel and she dedicates him to the temple. Um, and that's when she prays her second prayer, which is the one that Mary is referencing. Um, and so Hannah's got a miracle baby, right? It's, it, it, there's, there's a connection here that is pretty interesting. And as I was telling you that story, did you, were you reminded of another story of miracle babies? It, immediately I'm thinking of Rachel, and she's watching Leah marry what should be her husband in her mind, right? Um, 
and Rachel is greatly tormented, and Leah has children, and then Rachel can't have a baby, so then she gives her servant to her husband, and then she has a baby, and then Leah gives her servant to her husband, and there's another baby, and then there's more babies by Leah, and then finally, Rachel has a baby, and it's Joseph, right? And as we're remembering that story, we're remembering another uh, woman who could not have a baby and gives her servant. So we've, we've got Sarah giving Hagar to Abraham, and then she has a baby, and now finally, eventually the Lord opens her womb, and now Sarah can have a baby. There's, there's a connection here, right? And then we look at who these babies are. Hannah gives birth to Samuel, who's later going to anoint David, right? And we have Rachel giving birth to Joseph, who will be turned over to his enemies by his brothers, proven to be dead with the bloody garment to Israel himself, then found to be alive again, and then save the people of Israel, right? And then we've also got Sarah giving birth to Isaac, the seed of Abraham, right? There's some connections to what's going on here that I think Mary is starting to make these connections in her mind. And it's almost like she's saying, guys, look, look at this connection. There's something here that I'm starting to realize. So I'd like to unpack some of those connections. Uh, and I think one question is, Mary could reference this line of women much easier than she could by what she did. She sings a song that is almost identical in structure to what Hannah sang when she's dedicating uh, Samuel, but she could have pointed us to them in another way. She could have laughed, right? Isn't that what Sarah does when, when she finds out? She laughs. And you might be thinking, well, Mary wouldn't laugh, when, right? She wouldn't question the Lord. Well, would she? Let's see. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So it's very similar to laughing, right? This is not possible, but she doesn't. She references, or she doesn't know at the time that she's referencing, but the author of the story knew that she was responding in almost the exact same way Zechariah did when he was told, listen to Zechariah. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. <laughs> and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And you know what? I'm sorry, paraphrase. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. 
and the people were waiting. Zechariah's in there burning uh, an offering for the people of Israel at the time he comes out. They're waiting for him, uh, and they're wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Well, if you question the angel, you're going to get it, right? That, that's what we learn from Zechariah. Let's hear what Gabriel does to Mary when she questions. And the angel answered her. He gave her an answer instead of, instead of rebuking her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. She doesn't get rebuked at all. And she gets evidence. She doesn't even get, I stand in the presence of God. She gets, well, go see Elizabeth if you want proof. But these are parallel stories, right? And when we find parallel stories, we can normally glean something out of the differences between the stories. So one of the big differences is how they are treated by the angel. And I think that Zechariah's punishment is another thing leading us to the Hannah story. Listen to how Hannah prayed when she was the first time at the temple praying for a baby. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Zechariah's punishment is to be silent though his lips are still moving. And Hannah is praying silent, but her lips are moving. I think there's another connection here. And I think we're, we're referencing Hannah in our prayer for the baby. We're also referencing Hannah in the response to the baby. And I think this is the connection that Mary is starting to make because when she goes to see Elizabeth, Zechariah still can't speak. Right? And she knows her scriptures, right? She, I think she would recall this. And so I want to summarize a little more of the Hannah story and then tell you what I think the connection is between all of these things. So Hannah is miserable, right? And every time they go to the, to the temple, the, the, Penina is provoking her. And Hannah wants a child so badly. And this is the blessing that's on her mind. And her husband, who, like a very good husband, he loves her, he gives her a double portion, and he comes over to her, and then he says, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? I, can I ask the women in the congregation, could he have said anything dumber? at that time, right? He's, he's just, he's not, he's not addressing her feelings at all. He just wants it to be okay. And 
I, have we ever done this, guys? Right? We, there's a problem, and we just want to fix it. And we're saying, look, you've got me who loves you. You've got, you've got food on the table. Like, there's so much to be thankful for. Not everybody has this. But he just is completely missing the situation. The problem is that he doesn't understand. Hannah is not understood by her husband, and she's dealing with a different hurt, and he's minimizing her grief in an attempt to fix. Then Hannah goes to the temple, and she starts praying, and you know this prayer, right? This, I, it's flowing out of me. I can't even put it into words, but I'm just overcome with whatever it is that I'm praying about right now. And Eli thinks that she's drunk, right? And she says, no, it's not something that's been poured into me. It's something that's pouring out of me that I'm, I'm pouring out my soul to the Lord right now, and Eli doesn't understand her. So the husband, who was supposed to understand her, doesn't. The priest, who was supposed to understand her, doesn't. But one does. The one that she's praying to hears her, even though she can't speak, and I, I would like to, I, I think that we need to, now I'm not using the words object and subject the right way here, and, I, and I'm going to use them improperly the rest of the time. So I just want to prepare you. When, so, but you'll, you'll see what I'm getting at, I think. Uh, the object of Hannah's prayer is a baby, right? But the subject... And by that I mean, I guess, the setting of the prayer is her helplessness. She can't have a baby. She can't be understood. She can't feel her place in her family, in her society, and she is helpless to affect that. And it, we, I think, have all prayed that same prayer with a different object, maybe, Maybe the same object, but I'm sure with the same subject. Maybe, maybe you're suffering with uh, the uh, singleness for a longer period in, in your life than you thought you would. Or, or maybe it's a loved one who you're watching uh, be lost from the Lord and you feel helpless to help them there. Or maybe you want a child yourself or... You could have lost a loved one, right? Maybe you're watching uh, your parents go through end-of-life care and you're helpless to save them and they just linger. And in those moments, you, you might find yourself praying a Hannah prayer where you're just, you, you can't say anything. And then this time of year, Christmas, everybody's like Hannah's husband. Like, it's Christmas. What do you have to be upset about? And they don't, they don't understand, right? 
But you know, if you've prayed that Hannah prayer, you knew you were understood by the one you were praying to. Am I right? And I think that Hannah says something to that effect when she's praying her second prayer, the famous one. She says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. And so that, that's a, a poetic device where she'll say the same thing twice, but slightly differently. And what she's saying, the, the technical answer to what she's saying, she's saying that if no one is holy like the Lord, then there is none beside him that is holy. He is set apart. He is completely other. And that's true. But she changes from the third person, there is none holy like the Lord, to then speaking in the second person, for there is none besides you. So she's going from impersonal to personal. She's speaking right to the Lord. And I think she's recalling that time that she said her wordless prayer and is saying that no one got me, but you did. And the only way that you could get me is because you are holy because you are set apart. Everyone else can't relate to me in this time of grief, whether they think they can or not. And so I think that's the connection Mary's making when she goes to see Elizabeth. And she has to be wondering one other thing. I think she has to be wondering, why am I having a baby at all? She... She has something in common with these other women, but one thing not in common. They have all prayed for a baby, and she has not, right? And, I mean, every single one of them wanted a baby, and Mary didn't want a baby. Maybe later, maybe when she was married to Joseph, she would love to have a baby, but right now, that's not something she wanted. And I, I, I think we have some proof of that in the text, when the angel brings her the news, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. When she first gets the news, it's not exuberance. It's obedience. And she didn't ask for it. But then, right after she goes to see Elizabeth, now... She sounds exuberant, and she sings the Magnificat. And I think that she has to have been uh, thinking that the, the babies are the answer to the object of these other women's prayers, but her baby might be the answer to the subject of her prayers. So I want to unpack that a little bit more, that what the baby does can be the answer to the subject of the prayer because I think we have a hint of that in uh, Gabriel's promise to Zechariah about what the baby will do. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And listen to this. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I think that the object of Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer was a baby, but I think the subject of his prayers was also helplessness because Zechariah was a priest. He was a member of the Sadducees. The Sadducees we see through Jesus' ministry are not a just people. But the text tells us that Zechariah was just. Yet, Zechariah is impotent to affect the hearts of the people that he's supposed to be serving. He's supposed to be a mediator between God and man, and he's powerless. He has no influence over them. If he did, there would be many just priests and many just people But the angel says, you can't do it. You can't get your wife pregnant. And you can't affect the people of Israel. But your son will. He will answer that prayer. And so Zechariah, right now, coming out of the temple, literally cannot be heard. But he could never be heard. His call to righteousness was never heard by the people. And so that leads us to another question, and I think it's an obvious question. Who prayed for Mary's baby? And, and I think that the, the answer is that we all did. We, Mary did. Everyone did. We've all prayed that wordless prayer of helplessness in need of a savior and prayed for that prayer. Every one of those helpless prayers, the object may be different, but the subject is the need of a savior. And I think that's what Mary's singing right now. So just imagine, I'm going to reread the Magnificat. Imagine this is your response to the answering of that Hannah prayer that you've prayed or probably prayed in your life. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. I'm thinking, she's saying, I am now filled with an understanding of the greatness of the Lord and he has seen me in my lowest state. He has heard me saying my Hannah prayer that no one else can understand and he's here for me just like he was then. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Just like Hannah said, he, he really is the only one who could do these things because he is set apart. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. If, if the Lord has brought you close enough to him that you fear what you're encountering, that you have that sense of awe that comes with understanding the greatness of what the Lord is, then you are close enough to experience his mercy as well. I think she's saying something like that. 
He has shown great strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. Those who have prayed the Hannah prayer and recognized their need for a savior are filled with the savior. Those who think that they are full enough on bread and possessions, they they will find they have nothing. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He remembered us in our suffering, and he remembered his promise to Abraham, and he has fulfilled that in the babe in my womb. Sometimes the answer of the object of our prayers is not what we hoped for. But the subject, this type of prayer, the subject calls for the same answer. Jesus, a helpless babe, the son of a carpenter, a poor itinerant preacher destined to die, is not or was not the object of the prayers of Israel at the time. And it's frequently not the object of our prayers. But in our time of need, Emmanuel. God with us. He's the only one who understands when the world fails us. He can relate to us when no one can. And now he's come down and he's experienced temptation and hunger and suffering and helplessness. And now in a tiny way, we can relate to him too. Because he also prayed silent prayers in his moment of suffering. That prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, do, I mean, do we not see the same image of that pouring out prayer where we can't hear the words? And the object of his prayer at that time was not answered in the way that he asked for. But the subject was. And we can relate to that in some small way too. Because Jesus himself, God himself, was the answer to the subject of the prayers of the whole world. And for that, we give him praise. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now so grateful for hearing our prayers and for being the one who can understand us and can relate And we thank you so much for sending your son to fulfill all these promises. Lord, we we praise you for the great things that you've done. And we ask you to remind us when we are praying a Hannah prayer that you're right there. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.